What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the From Downtown Podcast. I'm your host, Dahani Joseph, and today we are recapping the NBA action from Monday, November 7th, 2022. This was the mega 15-game slate that I've been anticipating for good and for bad. Luckily, we get Tuesday off for the election, but Monday, we got games, man. We got 15 games throughout the association. That was really cool to see just how they were starting seven, excuse me, 15 minutes away from each other, starting at 7 o'clock in game after game. If you were an NBA fan last night, you couldn't lose. Also, the start of the NCAA basketball season, so basketball all around. Shout out to Syracuse men's and women's basketball for winning their season opener at home. That was big for them. But yeah, man, we got a bunch of things to talk about, some wins, some losses, some storylines we got to get into, and I'm all here for it, man. From Downtown Podcast, we're here, man. Without any further ado, let's get started. Without any further ado, let's get started on the first of the 15-game slate that we got for Monday, November 7th. First game up, the Washington Wizards took on the Charlotte Hornets, and it was the Wizards who came out victorious 108-100. to This game marks the fifth straight loss. I'll say that again, the fifth straight loss for a Charlotte team, right, who's kind of been struggling, to say the least, without having their all-star LaMelo Ball. Now, I will say that for Charlotte, you know, there's still some good things with them, right? P.J. Washington, 25 points. Terry Rozier, 19. Kelly Oubre with 20. They have some solid role guys here, but at the end of the day, without LaMelo Ball, without their all-star, without their franchise cornerstone, they're not going to do much in the Eastern Conference, in the NBA at large. They don't have enough talent. And you look at a team like Utah, which we'll get into later, that, might not have the same type of star power as other teams. They have veteran guys. P.J. Washington is still relatively young. You know, some of these guys aren't young. When you talk about a guy like Terry Rozier, Kelly Oubre, in the NBA years, they're still pretty young. Uh, McDaniel, J.T. Thor, Nick Richardson, James Booknight, young guys that need that veteran leadership, and they just don't have the chops yet. They could score. Especially when LaMelo, LaMelo comes back, they'll be able to score at a high clip. They'll be able to score with some of the best in the league. Last year, we saw they were a top five offense in the league. Granted, that was with Miles Bridges, and it looks like he's not returning back to the NBA anytime soon. But at the end of the day, LaMelo Ball is your facilitator. He's probably the best scorer on the team in terms of at least potential-wise with his shooting ability, his ability to get the floater from essentially the free throw line, which is kind of nuts when you really think about it. And so I mean, the level of difficulty that shot takes on a normal basis to extend it to 15 feet out. What? That's a tough shot. But LaMelo has essentially mastered that coming off the pick and roll. 
And he can get you 20, 25 points at night, as well as 8, 9, 10 assists, 7 rebounds. A stat sheet stuffer. That's the mellow ball. So they're definitely missing that. On the Washington Wizards side, we see Kyle Kuzma, 20 and 6 points. Chris Asperzingas, 9. No Bradley being in the lineup, but it didn't really matter. They were able to score when they needed to. Kuzma is a guy that he's a third option on this team, but when he when it's called upon, he can be a second or first option. We saw that plenty of times in L.A., and now he's showing that with the Wizards. He's able to step up on nights when Bradley Beal's injured. Maybe Beal isn't on. Is he, he isn't going, but for Porzingis to back him up, 19-8 and eight for Porzingis, a block as well. You got to take that into consideration, saying, okay, Kuzma could be the number one guy, but I have number two. And the roles can switch on any given night. Porzingis can go out for 35-10 and 10 on any given night, which is great a great problem for Wes Unsell Jr. to have with a team like this. Their offense hasn't necessarily been the issue for the most part. Defending is what's been keeping the Washington Wizards from going to that next level. Next game up, we have the Houston Rockets. Houston took on the Orlando Magic, two of the worst teams, two of the teams that will probably be contending for the top pick this year. But they had to play head-to-head. They were scheduled, and it was Houston coming up victorious 134-127. to A high-scoring affair. Both teams went out 2-9 on the season. <clears throat> and it was the Jalen Green show. Jalen Green versus Paolo Bancaro. That's the matchup that everybody who was watching tuned in to see. Jalen Green, 34 points. Three assists, three boards, 12 of 18 from the field, 5 of 11 from three-point range, 5 of 7 from the free throw line. For a second-year guy who's projected to be a star, probably a superstar in this league, those are pretty damn good numbers to come out of the game with. For Paolo Bancaro, 30 points, 6 rebounds, 4 assists, 2 blocks. I mean, excuse me, it's 2 steals as well. 8 of 16, 2 of 4 from three-point range, 12 of 14 from the line. What we're seeing here, 2 potential superstars in the NBA. I'm that confident in both of their skill levels, their talent, their work ethic. Paolo Bancaro, one of the best players at his out of his draft class. He's a dude that can score at a high clip. So early on, you see so many of the great things that he's doing already, putting up 30, 30 points, 15 rebounds, doing stuff that hasn't been done since LeBron James. Are you kidding me? This is a guy that's a can't-miss prospect. Orlando was lucky to have him, lucky to have the number one pick in the draft. And now having him on the roster, you can sort of build around him. He's definitely a dude that could be a number one option for this Orlando Magic team. He is right now. He's been having 30 for the last few games now, 20-plus since he's got into the league. By far, the rookie of the year runaway as far as I'm concerned, even though I still have faith in Keegan Murray. But damn, it's not looking good right now. It's not it's not looking good for Keegan right now. It's it's Paolo, then it's Benedict Matherin. And then maybe you can go Keegan, Jabari, and Jaden Ivey, maybe Jaden Ivey above both of those guys right now, as we'll get into him and what he's been doing over the season. But overall, great game from those two guys. That's a matchup that people pay to see. And I'm excited for their future. Speaking of Jaden Ivey, here we go. The Detroit Pistons winning against Oklahoma City Thunder, 112-103. to 
in this game, Jay Nivey, 15 points, 11 boards, 6 assists, 2 steals, and 3 blocks. I mean, for a guard to have 3 blocks in a game, that that's pretty special. That's, that's Michael Jordan-esque. That's Dwayne Wade-esque. When you talk about the ability to impact the game on both sides of the floor. For Jaden Ivey this year, 15 points, 5 rebounds, 4 assists. For a, a player that was a 5th overall pick, right? 5th overall pick in this year's draft. He's now got that starting point, 2 guard role, whatever you want to say he is. I think he's more of a point guard. Cade Cunningham is more of the 2, even though Cade gets a lot of the ball handling responsibilities for this team. He had 21, 11 boards, 7 assists in this contest. But both of them are equally capable of being that floor general facilitator. I think Cade Cunningham, as time goes on, will be that dude for this squad that's going to be that facilitator. I see Jaden Ivey as more of a slasher. I see him more as a two next to Cade Cunningham. But then again, Cade Cunningham is, what, 6'7", six, 6'8", six, so he has that traditional two-guard size. But I think the ability to play make that he has as well as a scoring threat. I, I like him at the point guard. Not saying that Jaden Ivey can't score, can't facilitate. That's just my personal opinion. But Jaden Ivey's going to be a great player in this league. I think he's in a pretty good spot where he has a backcourt mate that he can grow with, two potential all-stars in the backcourt for Detroit. When you talk about starting points, when you talk about people, or rather teams that need to build, rebuild for the future, you can't ask for two better guard prospects than Cade Cunningham and Jaden Ivey. For Detroit, I mean, excuse me, for Oklahoma City, they have a pretty good guard themselves with Shea Gilgus Alexander. He was the sole starter for Oklahoma City that ended up with double-digit points. He had 33 points. Shea Gilgus Alexander quietly averaging 31 points per game, six assists, five rebounds. For Oklahoma City, who is four and six on the season. They probably will end up in one of the lower seedings in the Western Conference. I say 13 to 15, just because, you know, talent deficiency. They're not trying to win. They haven't been trying to win for the last few years. They always end up, like, getting a veteran, then trading him or letting him go to a better situation. Right now, without Chet Holmgren on the squad, it's kind of like, okay, let's wait. If they had Chet, maybe. I don't even think they would try to win even if they had Chet. But now they don't have Chet, why not just tank, go for Victor. If they don't get Victor, maybe get Scoot. I'll be very interested to see how they work with that out because you already have Shea at point guard. Now you can use him as a trade piece. I don't know if you want to trade him. He's still young. Obviously, he's averaging 30. You don't get that everywhere. Josh Giddy, another guy who's basically a guard. I mean, you could put him at the three. He has three sides, about six, seven, six, eight. Put Scoot at the two guard or the one guard, whatever one you think fits best for him. That's a good problem to have if you're Oklahoma City. If you can get the number one, number two pick, have multiple guys that can play that position, those are great problems to have in the NBA. Next game, the Indiana Pacers took on the New Orleans Pelicans, and the Pacers were successful for Indiana. Uh, winning four of their last five on a little bit of a hot streak here. Offensively, Indiana is able to score with the best of them. And in particular, last night, Miles Turner put up a monster 37 points, 12 rebounds, 
in the contest. I mean, when you look at that, those numbers, you think Miles Turner. Typically, Miles Turner is a dude that's going to give you 15 points, eight boards, two blocks, three point shooting. Over the last five games that he's played since coming back from an ankle injury, he's averaging around 14 points per game. So around that same production, but on nights like these, when you see the 35s, excuse me, 37, you see the 12 rebounds, and you think, okay, can we get this every night? Can he be this on a consistent basis? Probably the answer is no, but it's good to see that he has the potential, especially when you see four of seven from three-point range. If I'm Indiana, I am no way in hell am I trading Miles Turner or Buddy Heald or both for the Lakers' problem in Russell Westbrook. There's no way in hell that I'm doing that. You cannot give up two. First of all, these guys are two pieces that I don't want on a championship team. If you tell me to build a championship and these guys are available, I'm taking them, especially Buddy Heald. Buddy Heald ended up with 20 points, 5 of 13 from three-point range. He's a sniper, scorer. At the two-guard spot. Tyrese Halliburton as well. 20 points. 13 assists. 6-10 from three-point range. It's so weird his jump shot. His jump shot form is non-traditional as it comes. But he has deep range on it. Hits it with high efficiency. This Indiana team, man. And I didn't even mention Benedict Mathurin. Who had a quiet night by his standards. Only eight points. A lot of these guys on this team, man. They could score. If they can get it together defensively, which for a Rick Carlisle team, it wouldn't be hard for them to get defensively in tune, get better at that. I think that comes with time, with experience. You look at this roster, I mean, the oldest guy in the starting lineup is Buddy Heald. He's not necessarily even that old. It's a very young team on the average side. So, give them time. They have the offense. That's easy. Defense is what's going to take them to the next level. For New Orleans, 5-5 five and five on the year. Same with Indiana, didn't mention that. But after a pretty strong start, they weathered some storms, some injuries. They've had some big games, like the one against Dallas that they won. It's a mixed bag, right? You you think of New Orleans, you think, okay, you have Zion Williamson, 26-7-7, seven and 10-15, seven, of 2-3 from three-point range. Perfect. Can't ask for nothing more. Brandon Ingram, 29 points, 6 rebounds, 12 of 24 from the field, 3 of 4 from 3-point range, 2 of 2 from the line. Perfect. CJ McCollum, he struggled, 9 points, 7 assists, 3 of 11, 2 of 5. But if you're getting the, the 29 from Ingram, if you're getting the 26 from Zion, getting the 16 from Herb Jones, 14 and 7 from Valentunis, off the bench you're getting 22 when you combine Devontae Graham, Trey Murphy. You should win most of these games. If you're scoring 122 points a game, you should win these games. Same thing with Indiana, I'll say about New Orleans. Defensively is where they got to step it up. You have a guy like Herb Jones. He's your defensive stopping type of dude. He, he's the guy that will get stops on the best player. But it has to be a team effort, man. And a lot of these teams that can score a lot. If they don't get it together defensively, they'll only make it so far. They make the playoffs, sure. Will they win in the first round? Maybe if they get hot at the right time. But after that, once you get to the second round, once you're playing the teams with a top 10 defensive rating and top 10 offensive rating, then it's like, what are you going to do? You might be able to score, but if you can't stop them, they're going to go crazy on you. They're, they're going to score. You're going to have no shot in a seven-game series. That's how it's always been in the NBA. 
And for New Orleans, that's no exception. Next game, talking about a team that has a top 10 defense and offense. The Phoenix Suns took on the Philadelphia 76ers, but in this case, it was Philly. Philadelphia winning this one 100-88. Chris Paul did go out with a heel injury. That is unfortunate. For Chris Paul, who it always seems like he's going to get injured at some point in the season. It's only inevitable. He's been good for a while. <clears throat> but now is the time he got injured. And it's unfortunate because Joel Embiid finally back after having the flu, missing the last three games. And he came back and he's trying to show everybody he's still that dude. Especially with James Harden out now, who... For stretches, looked like the best player on Philadelphia, even with Joel Embiid playing on the court with him. 33 points, 10 rebounds, 5 assists, 8 of 21 from the field, 16 for 16 from the line. He couldn't be stopped. And for Phoenix, it was Devin Booker with 28, 5 assists, 7 rebounds. DeAndre Aiden chipped in 14 and 7. McCall Bridges, I always say Miles Bridges, but McCall Bridges from Villanova, 15 points, 5 rebounds. These guys are scoring, but not defending. And this was a low-scoring game in general. Phoenix, a top-10 defense, not allowing more than 100 points, great. But for a top-10 offense, only score 88. Granted, Chris Paul wasn't there, but even still, they are a veteran team that has been to the finals in the last few years been to the semifinals, they know what it takes to win. This was an aberration. They won't, I highly doubt they'll ever score under 90 again. Regulation, overtime, no, no matter what's the case, they're not going to do that. Phoenix is too great of an offensive team. Defensively, credit to the Sixers, who they have a, a top 10, top 15 rating. Um, I'm not sure why this ad is playing, but again, top 10. In the defense, top fifteen, top ten defense for Philadelphia, but it hasn't it hasn't felt like that. When you watch the games, they're giving up way too many open looks, especially from three late game situations. They just don't know the rotations, they don't know what to do. At times, is what it looks like from a viewer's perspective. The optics look like they're kind of lost out there. That's something that they need to work on, and so far. This game against Phoenix, a great sign for Philadelphia that they're going to improve. Next game up, the Milwaukee Bucks versus the Atlanta Hawks. Atlanta, without Trey Young, mind you, giving Milwaukee their first loss of the season. Milwaukee is trying to be the first team to go 10-0 since the Golden State Warriors when they started 24-0. That, that's how long it's been. Since that happened, so it won't happen this year, but Milwaukee is pretty close. 9-1 is a great way to start the season, especially when you're missing your second best player in Chris Middleton. For Atlanta, excuse me, DeJounte Murray, 25 points, 11 assists, 8 rebounds, near triple-double for him. These are the type of games that he was brought over for. When Trey Young isn't on the floor, do they have a second option? Now they do in DeJounte Murray. And he proved that he was worth the acquisition in the offseason to get him, to have him alongside Trey. And even when Trey's out or on the bench, in this case, he was out. DeJounte Murray could step in and be that lead guard. 
for Atlanta, and they still have all the same weapons. John Collins had 14. Clint Capella had only 5, but 12 boards. Hunter, DeAndre Hunter, 10 points. Off the bench, A.J. Griffin, the rookie, my guy from Duke, 24 points, 4 rebounds, 10 of 15, and 2 of 6 from 3-point range. I'm hoping they, they see something out of this game. He's, he had 31 minutes in this game. Second highest minutes outside of DeJounte Murray. I hope they see this and give him more time because he's a guy that can score. He can play a 3 and D type of role, a role two-way type of guy for the Atlanta Hawks, which they have a lot of. But give him time. Give him the reins. I think they'll find that they have a really special player on their hands. I really do. For Milwaukee, Giannis had 25-7, two assists, only 27 minutes. Nobody on the starting lineup played over 30 for Milwaukee, kind of over by the fourth quarter for Atlanta. Credit to Atlanta for putting up the amount of points that they did, defending at the clip that they did. You always hear about me talking about their starting five. They're great. Offensively, they can do some things. Defensively, that's what's going to take them to the next level, as a lot of teams in the league for Portland, they were victorious in their next game. Portland versus Miami, 110-107. to 7-3 Trailblazers right now. We're still trying to figure out, are they real? Are they just winning a few games now? What is it going to be like? Are they going to cool off later in the season? The jury's still out on that one. I'm not potentially, I can't say for sure. If I had to bet, if I was a betting man right now, I'd probably say they're going to end up. 6 through 8, 6 through 10. But I could be wrong. I'm not a betting man, so I won't bet that. But for the Blazers, another game-winning shot. Um, I think two games ago, it was Jeremy Grant. This time, it was Josh Hart. 12 points, 0 of 2 at 3-point range before that. But he hit the biggest one. And for a team that had Damian Lillard on the floor and Anthony Simons, a dude that could score, he had 25 it was interesting to see how they, they gave Josh Hart the ball in the last second because everybody knew that Dame, if he had the ball, he was going to take the last shot, which was the right call. I'd make sure that he did not get a shot off, but Dame in the last few seconds kicked it to Hart in the corner. Hart had the open look, took it, knocked it down, and they went on, went home with the W. I think that that was the right basketball play by all, all accounts. You can't really take that. Take it and be like, okay, Dame should have done something else. No, that was the right play. Kicked it out to the corner, wide open three, and he got it done. For Miami, close one. All the starters had at least 10 points. 15 for Max Struess, 15 for Kyle Lowry. Out of bye with 16. Jimmy Butler with 16. Martin with 10. Deadman with 10. Gabe Vincent with 15. Very even scoring. This is a Miami team that, although they're 4-7 right now, you think at some point, you know, they'll turn it around. They'll, they'll get back into the winning. They'll probably end up a little bit over 500. I think of Miami Heat, you understand that they have a lot of scoring. They're defensive-minded, and that's what they've always prided themselves on. They're hard-nosed type of team. With Jimmy Butler at the helm, you kind of have to be a hard-nosed team. You're going to do the dirty work, and... In the Eastern Conference, with all these powerhouses that are going to beat up on each other, Miami is going to find their way in there, probably be a, a four to six seed. I don't want to doubt Miami. I, I've doubted them in the past, and they almost made it to the finals last year. That's how great they were.
So no more doubting Miami. I, I give them four or six seed automatically, even if the stove start has people doubting them. I'm not going to doubt them. I learned my lesson. Next game, the Chicago Bulls took on the Toronto Raptors. It was Chicago. It was Chicago, excuse me. That was victorious, 111 to 97. Chicago are six and six on the season. Toronto six and five. They played before, and it was Toronto who was victorious, and that was a large part due to them holding Demar Derozan to limited shots. They were double teaming him a lot. This game was the same way. Demar only finished with nine points, which is rare for him. He can give you thirty on any given night. He only took six a shot, six shot attempts. But it was Zach Levine who came to save the, save the day. 30 points, 11 of 20 from the field, 4 of 8 from three-point range. Zach Levine, all-star caliber guard. We all understand that. He was able to pick his spots, take the ball out of DeRozan's hands, who they were trying to double at all points of the game. They weren't letting DeMar go. They weren't letting him get to his spots or even have the ball. They were denying him if they got it. They were doubling. That's the right strategy. But other people were going to have opportunity to shoot. In this case, it was Zach Levine, and he made them pay. And that's what you have to do. If your star is getting double teamed, kick it to the next guy. If he makes a shot, great. In this case, Zach Levine was. So all the credit to him. Toronto 6-5 on the season, like I mentioned before. They still don't have Pascal Siakam. After injury, he's out for a significant stretch. Fred Van Vliet, 27 points, 4 assists. He's going to be the main scorer, main facilitator. Scotty Barnes, despite having an incredible poster dunk in this game, five points, five assists, six rebounds. That's the best you got from him. It's not going to get it done for much winning. He's a guy that's going to have to have 12 to 15 points every night, along with the assists, along with the steals, along with the rebounds, for this team to be going at their fullest potential, which I think is at best, a top four seed in the East, and I think that's pretty damn good considering all the other talented teams in the Eastern Conference. Another team that's going to be at the top of that Eastern Conference, Boston. Boston Celtics, they took on the Memphis Grizzlies, and Boston closed this one out, 109-106. One of the better games, I would say, out of the... 15 games, 7-3 Celtics versus a 7-4 now Grizzlies. That's the records now. I shouldn't say versus because that was the record after they played. But it was Jason Tatum, 39 points, including two crucial free throws down the stretch to effectively seal the deal in this one. When you look at the Boston Celtics, now 7-3, they kind of had a little slow start. Defensively, they still weren't all that compared to what they were last year. When you talk about points, when you talk about scoring, Boston is on another level right now, averaging around 118 points per game. But for their defense, they're in the bottom third. They're at a point where it's like, okay, you can score, but are you going to be able to defend at a high level? Now, historically, we know that their defense can reach that top 10, even number one level. We saw that last year. They were a historically great defensive team. Their point differential was through the roof. We knew what they could do. I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt here. And we'll get into that once we get to our power rankings at the end of this podcast. But Boston is going to be a team that's going to be a live threat in the playoffs to win the whole thing. 
defense is going to come, but I think having this high-powered offense for now to make up for what they're lacking on defensive on a defensive end, that's crucial. For Memphis, you know, three-point loss, they could have won it. I think down the stretch, Boston's defense in, increased significantly. Kind of made life harder for John Morant, although he had 30 points, 9 assists, 8 rebounds. So how hard was life really when you could do that, you know? But 10 of 24 for him, 5 of 12, 5 of 9 from the line. Dylan Brooks, 6 of 17, 0 of 4. That defensive intensity from Boston really showed with him. Desmond Bain as well, 7 of 15 for 19 points. Close game. This is going to be, if if I'm not mistaken, they'll play again in Boston. That'll be a game to watch. Yeah, that's in February. That'll be a game to watch for sure. ABC game. You have two of the top young talents with John Tatum playing. Jalen Brown, I didn't even mention him. He had 21 points, 9 boards. Marcus Smart, 15, 12, and 7 assists. 15, 12, and 7 rebounds, excuse me. Al Horford with 15 points, including some timely three-point makes by Al Horford. Six of seven, three of three. Credit to Al Horford. I will say that I thought that it was going to be over for Al Horford. This season, I was saying that this might be his last season. Last year could have been his last season. I wasn't quite sure. I'm happy he feels good. Yes, obviously enough for the tank to keep going. He's dropping 15 and six on a consistent basis he's giving leadership he's giving the defense he's giving the three-point shooting the passing everything that you could ever want probably one of the best bigs that is a veteran in the nba today i wouldn't want too many other guys to be on that front line next game the new york knicks took on the minnesota timberwolves and in this one the combination of randall jalen brunson rj barrett they combined for 76 points as they beat Minnesota. Minnesota, they have lost a good amount of games since coming out. They started pretty good. Now 5-6. and six. Defensively for the Knicks, man, they were pretty good. Holding Minnesota, a team that has Anthony Edwards, a team that has Cat, only to 107 points in the contest. You have to consider that and say, okay. The New York Knicks, obviously, when you have a guy like Tom Thibodeau as your coach, they're always going to be pretty defensive-minded. But uh, just you have to put into practice. And then with Cam Reddish, you know, he's going to give you some defense. He only had eight points, but defensively, he was solid. Randall, again, he contributed to the 76. He had 31-8. Jalen Brunson of 23 points, eight assists. Jalen Brunson... Looking like a pretty good acquisition at the at the trade, not excuse me, not trade deadline through free agency. I know some people were kind of hesitant with the money, saying, "Oh, is he really worth that?" I think New York thinks he's worth every penny, and so far I think so too, man. I mean, he's been as solid as they come at the guard. I don't know if he'll be an all star, but I definitely think that he has what it takes to be one of the better guards in the Eastern Conference. I'll say that. I think that he has the intangibles. He has kind of an old soul, that veteran mindset. And you look at him and say, all right, I can have you lead my troops to battle on a night-in-night-out basis. R.J. Barrett, 22 points, 3 of 7 from 3-point range. Whenever I see R.J. Barrett score 20 points, I'm really looking at the 3-point percentage. Field goal percentage, too, but mainly 3-point. 
percentage because he could score, he can get to the line. I think the next step for him is just becoming a reliable shooter. That's always going to be my gripe with him. I just don't think he's as good of a shooter as he needs to be to get to that next level because if he can he can hit 36, 37% on five threes a game, making four or five threes a game, that changes the Knicks' entire outlook in terms of what they have in R.J. Barrett. Right now, he's like a slasher. You know, he'll get to the line a few times. That's the line six. Yeah, six free throws for, for five makes. He can do some things, get some rebounds, get some assists. But until he's a competent three-point shooter, man, I don't think he's going to be anywhere near as good as what Zion and Ja can be and are right now, to be quite honest with you. He's just a tier, maybe even two tiers below them. Without a three-point shot, he can't get as far as they are. Which is a shame, too, because he has all the intangibles. He has the size. He has the athleticism. From what I've heard, he's a hard worker. Just right now, it's not translating in the way that the Knicks would like. <clears throat> Obi Toppin also chipped in 15.7 rebounds off the bench. Always good to see Obi Toppin. He was a, a beast at Dayton. I hope he can get the role that he wants. And just going back to the defensive point with the Timberwolves and how they were stopped by the Knicks. 5-14, one of seven from Anthony Edwards. That's an aberration. That won't happen too often. D'Angelo Russell with 14 points, 4 of 12. Just some stats to show that. Excuse me. Mm. Uh, their defense is on another level. And shout out to the Knicks for getting it done defensively. Early in the season, they were great offensively, still around like borderline top 10 in points per game. Defensively, they were around the bottom tw- bottom third of the league. So credit to them for limiting this team that is pretty high-powered offense to 107 points per game. Next up, the Denver Nuggets taking on the San Antonio Spurs. The Nuggets were victorious, 115-109. to A near triple-double by Nikola Jokic helped power the Nuggets to their third straight victory. Denver is now 7-3. Now they're starting to figure things out, get Jamal Murray back in the system. You have DeAndre Jordan had to implement. So got Bones Highland. So got a bunch of guys that, you know, great players in their own right. They can play a role. Bruce Brown, you guys know how much I appreciate him as a player. Christian Braun, he only had three minutes, zero points. But again, he's a he's a champion from Kansas. There's different pieces that they just have to figure things out, and now they're figuring them out. And, hey, Nikola Jokic has a lot of weapons to choose from now compared to last year where, you know, it wasn't always certain whether he was going to have a really a starter, starting-level guy next to him outside of maybe Aaron Gordon because Porter was out, Murray was out. You, you had, like... I don't even know how to pronounce the name. Campazzo. Fauci Campazzo. Yeah, him. He's not a starter. So many guys out there that you couldn't really trust in a playoff series. Now, Jokic has his guys. He won't win MVP this year, but he'll be All-NBA. First or second team. And his team will be better for it. So, all the best for Denver. They're going to be a tough, tough team to be in the playoff series. Because defending Jokic... Isn't just defending him. It's making sure you're locked into the back door cut to make sure you're locked in on all screens. Because if there's even a slither of daylight, a sliver of daylight, he will find the man that's open 
and they'll make you pay nine times out of ten. And on the Spurs side, this is San Antonio's fourth straight loss after starting the season five and two. They're one of the teams that we all thought we were going to tank for Victor. Started out pretty hot. Now they're back down to a five and six record. Keldon Johnson at 30 points. Trey Jones, not Tyus Jones, brother Trey Jones with 20. Josh Richardson off the bench with 22 points. But again, they're one of the teams that started pretty hot. They're going to go back down to earth. Probably going to go on a, a pretty sizable losing streak at some point in the year. Because they know this season is, is, is just to get through. Get to the draft. And maybe next year they'll actually start winning games. Next game up we have the Dallas Mavericks versus Brooklyn. Luka Doncic. Another 30-point game. Extended his 30-point streak to nine. Nine points. I'm excuse me, nine games with 30 points straight. That is a historic feat only accomplished by Wilt Chamberlain. When you think of all the great scores, you have Michael Jordan, James Harden, Kevin Durant, LeBron James, Shaquille O'Neal. None of these guys have done this at this rate besides Wilt Chamberlain. Luka Doncic is a generational talent, a superstar, only 23 years old. There's so many words you can use to font. You can use prodigy, whatever you want to use, whatever you want to say. Luka Doncic is one of the best players in the world. It's really that simple. And he was able to deliver the goods, help them, help the Mavericks and beat Brooklyn 96 to 94. Close game down the stretch. Those had Dorian Finney-Smith with 18. Josh Green chipped in double figures as well, 16 to be exact. You can't ask for more, man. Dallas really is a team. They're only 6-3, and 5-1 and one at home. I suspect that they're going to be in that top four, top five in the Western Conference. Maybe even higher because Luka is going to single-handedly just push them as far as they can go. I think they still need a bit more support. They need a legitimate number two. Spencer Dinwiddie, who was, I guess, their number two, or if you want to say Christian Wood, neither of them performed up to standards. Spencer Dinwiddie only had two points, Christian Wood with six. Tim Hardaway had 11. Dorian Finney-Smith was their next leading guy with 18, but he's on number two. He's a great role player. I love the guy. He's a 3 and D guy, one of the best in the business. I'll take him on my team any day of the week, 24-7. That's how highly I think of Dorian Finney-Smith. But Luka Doncic is an offense all unto himself. We all understand that. But when your starters, two of them go over, and Reggie Bullock and JaVale McGee, Spencer Dinwiddie has two, it's going to be tough to win some of these games. And they are lucky as hell Brooklyn doesn't have Kyrie Irving right now. Or they would have lost this game. I'm, I'm saying it straight up. For as great a defense as Dallas has been the last year and this year, they wouldn't have beat Brooklyn. I'm sorry. They wouldn't have been able to hold Kyrie Irving to, uh, he has zero points, obviously they didn't play, but hold him to a low field goal percentage? Probably not. It's very rare for him to do that. It can happen, but Kyrie's a wizard with the basketball, one of the best scores in the game. Last time I checked, near 30 or 30 points per game. That would have been hard to stop. So Dallas offensively, got to figure some things out. Next game, the Golden State Warriors versus the Sacramento Kings. Golden State finally getting a win. They're one of five games kid before. They had that long road trip, 0-6 on the road, but 4-1 at home, and they were able to get this one 
116 to 113. Again, I've been saying this for a long time. Sacramento is always in games. Even though they don't win them, they're 3-6 and six on the year, so they've won some. One off a buzzer beater. They're in games a lot, man. This team is going to be really good really soon. They have to figure out how to close out these close games. But the veteran leadership, the presence of Steph Curry, who he had a season-high 47 points this game. He was unstoppable, as he is most nice, but I think he decided to assert his dominance. He understood what it would mean for this team to continue losing the way that they did. 47, 8 rebounds, 8 assists, shooting 7 of 12 from 3-point range. Andrew Wiggins shipped in 25 and 10. So I know Andrew Wiggins, he might be like the best starter that isn't a star in the league. When you talk about, he can consistently give you 20, 10 lockdown defense, all NBA type defense. He's averaging eight, 18 points a game, six rebounds, three assists on the season. If you're talking about a starter that's not a star, and you have to draft, Andrew Wiggins pretty much would be a top pick. Top five pick. I have to go through the, the list of teams that have people that aren't stars, quote unquote, but are really good. But Andrew Wiggins is up there for sure. You saw what he could do with the NBA Finals last year. He was a key reason that they were even in the finals and that they were able to win it. His defense on Tatum and Brown specifically was elite. And he's given you 18 a game. Last night he gave you 25 to assist Steph. Clay was 16. Yeah, let me see, not DeAndre Jordan. What? Draymond Green had 11 points, 8 rebounds, 6 assists. That was a vintage Golden State game. Defensively, they still aren't there yet. And Sacramento took full advantage of that. 28 points for De'Aaron Fox. 11 points for Kevin Herter. 19, 14, and 6 for DeMontis Sabonis. Okay, and Malik Monk with 24 off the bench. I just want to give some more love to De'Aaron Fox, man. 26 and a half a game for him scoring-wise. Five and a half assists. Five rebounds. All-star. He needs to be an all-star this year if he continues on numbers. I don't care if Sacramento isn't winning these close games. When you're putting up some great numbers like these, man, it's going to be really hard for teams to be like, okay, we can forget about Sacramento because they're always in games. He's their number one scorer. He's a key catalyst for everything they do on the offensive end. My guy Keegan Murray only had six points last night. Will that happen again? Probably not. Keegan Murray is a veteran type of dude in the head anyway. He, he has all the intangibles. He has a scoring ability. I can easily see in two or three years, you want to talk about bright futures, which I got to get a video out, by the way about bright futures side tangent uh on instagram i commented on the post about espn the utah jazz is in first place and minnesota's in 10th place and i said i would i would still take minnesota in the playoff series just solely because utah they don't have a star this is a star driven league stars win playoff series great teams can win too but i mean if you told me anthony edwards cat rudy gobert i'm taking them in the playoff series i'm sorry that's just how it is. Utah, they might get a first-round victory, maybe, but after that, I don't believe in them. I'm sorry. And then one person had commented saying that we, which I'm assuming he's talking about Utah, we still have a bright future. I was like, yeah, maybe. You know, what What do you consider a bright future when you have a guy like Mike Conley at the point guard? 
So you put Colin Sexton up there, who's averaging pretty close to, I want to say, 20 points per game off the bench. I'll have to double-check that once we get to Utah. But, again, what's the bright future for them? Lowry Markkinen, maybe. I'll say Lowry Markkinen, sure. Clarkson, Colin Sexton. Like, yeah, sure, you guys have some pieces, but talking about bright future, I think that's kind of a stretch. Especially considering some other teams like of Boston, like a Golden State even, like Sacramento. There's a bunch of teams. Orlando, Houston. Uh, go down the list. There's a bunch of teams that have brighter futures than Utah Jazz. But we'll get into that at a later date. I just wanted to bring that up. All to say, Keegan Murray, six points, but we know that he'll, he'll be able to grow. Next game, the Utah Jazz, as we we're just mentioning, they beat the Los Angeles Lakers 139-116. to Damn. Let's get into the Utah Jazz first. I have a lot to say about the Lakers today. For Utah, scoring almost 140 points. That's a lot. Granted, the Lakers aren't the best defensive team in the world, sure, but... 23 from Markinen, 14 from Mike Conley, 14 from Malik Beasley... 22 from Jordan Clarkson, 17 off the bench from Con Sexton, 15 from THT, 10 from I mean, 10 from Kelly Olynyk. Utah man, they're such an enigma to me. When you when you trade a guy, when you trade two All Star All NBA dudes, Donovan Mitchell going to Cleveland, Rudy Gobert going to Minnesota. Nine times, 99 times out of 100, that team that traded those two guys, they aren't getting the best players in the deal. And they usually are going to be a worse team. Right now, they look like a better team, at least record-wise, than how Utah started out last year, if I'm not mistaken. I'll have to double-check that. But in terms of just winning right now, 9-3 and three, after 12 games, for a team that we all thought was going to tank, we all thought it would be like right there with San Antonio trying to lose as many games as possible to get the number one pick, which no one would have blamed them for, nobody at all. We understand what Danny Ainge did in the past with Boston. That's how they got to where they are today. They didn't tank, but they were able to get the, the picks, the top picks, to get people like Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart, et cetera, et cetera, building their future through the draft. Even if Utah does end up somehow, some way, ending with this top seed, which I highly doubt that'll happen. I, I really just don't see it. Even with this top, top seed now. What are they going to do in the postseason? I mean, sure. They, they have some dudes with postseason experience. Yeah, Mike Conley. He was in Utah for a while, and he was also with Memphis. They went what, second round, maybe third round once. You know, they have some experience. You have Kelly Olynyk with Boston, made it to conference finals. Rudy Gay's on there as well. Uh, THT, some experience, but the rest of you guys, minimal experience at best. In the playoffs, it comes down to star power. In the playoffs, those are the matchups that you look forward to. Those are the matchups that really matter. Stars win championships. There aren't too many instances in NBA history where you can say a top 10 player isn't on the championship winning roster. 
maybe you can point to the Detroit Pistons team with Chauncey Billups. You have to go back and think, well, was Chauncey a top 10 player? Was Wallace top 10 Maybe, maybe not. Most likely, no. They just had a really great team. Do you think that this Utah Jazz team is going to be as special as that Detroit Pistons team? I don't think so. That Detroit Pistons team was a historically great defensive team. Utah, top 10 offense, top 10 defense, number eight in both. But that's not historically great. That's pretty good. That's, that's really good, actually. And those numbers, if you told me that that's a team that was going to be a top top five team in the NBA, I would believe you just by those numbers. But you look at the players that they have, the lack of star power. If you want to say Lowry Markin is their best player, go right ahead. I'm not taking Lowry Markin over 20, 25, 30 guys in the league, probably more than that, and that's being nice. As good as the season has been for him, he's not that dude that's going to take you to the promised land. I don't care what your record is. I'm not betting on Utah. It's as simple as that. I don't see any reason for them to continue winning at this rate. If anything, maybe trade some more pieces, get some more picks, get as much draft ammunition as you need because as great of a start that this this has been, 9-3 and three over the last 12 games. This isn't a sustainable method to winning championships. It's just not. You can be competitive all you want, but if you really want to win, you need stars. And especially since you're in a market like Utah, which isn't attracting top free agents and never attracted a free agent, never will. They always go to the New Yorks, the Miamis, the LAs of the world. You need to draft really, really well. And credit to the players that they have drafted, getting people like Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert, but 9-3 and three is cool, but you got to make a real real big trade or you have to just start tanking to get a top guy or else your future isn't going to be so bright. Now let's get to Los Angeles. The Los Angeles Lakers are 2-8 and eight on the season. 0-4 on the road. The home, it doesn't even matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter at this point. We look at this game, Anthony Davis, you know, 29 points, solid. Russell Westbrook, 22 points, 5 assists, 3 rebounds, solid. No LeBron James due to rest, setting out. A few other players set out. I don't think this is far-fetched to say. I don't think this is crazy to say. The Lakers need to consider trading Anthony Davis and LeBron James right now. Yes, the both of them. The reason why I say this, this season is on the track to nowhere really, really fast. Even if they do decide to trade Russell Westbrook, let's say they make that Indiana trade to get Buddy Heald, Miles Turner. That's only going to fix so much. I think it's a lost cause for this season. I really do. Just the body language of the players at times. The inability to shoot. Um, defensively, they aren't necessarily that great. Offensively, they don't get it done as well. There's so many factors. And at the end of the day, you want to talk about future prospects, what, they, what they're going to do for the next few years. They don't have all their picks. I'm, I'm trying to think. They don't have their pick this year. I know that for certain. What's the real value of keeping Anthony Davis or LeBron James if you guys aren't going to win this year? 
next year, I mean, sure, free agency, maybe you get Kyrie Irving, if that, because you already know the whole situation with Kyrie at this point. We're not even sure if he'll ever play in the NBA again after what he pulled. I hope he does, but it's not it's not guaranteed, despite the skill. Maybe they take a risk on him, pick him up free agency. Does that really solve their problem? Offensively, sure, it'll help. But defensively, he's not going to add to what they already have, you know? I say if you can trade LeBron, if you can get a haul. What haul? I'm not quite sure. <clears throat> Just considering his contract, considering the amount of years that he has left, considering his age as well, I say maybe there's so many teams that he can go to, but you have to trade a significant piece to get him, a significant young star. And maybe next time we'll we'll get talk about bright futures man we'll talk about the least bright futures as well and we'll get some trade situations for the Los Angeles Lakers but safe to say that you can get a lot of value for LeBron even at this late stage bring him to a team like a sort of random team Minnesota I don't know if they would do this but you know Anthony Edwards you swap them put LeBron on a situation now he has more shooting. Now he has Carlton Towns who can score with the best of them, have a defensive-minded center and Rudy Gobert. Rebounds great. Have some pieces around them. That would be a pretty interesting situation for LeBron to be in, although I'd highly doubt that LeBron would ever want to go to Minnesota. I'm almost sure he doesn't have a trade clause in this new contract that he has. Don't quote me on that, but... In any case, there's so many places for LeBron to go. He can go back to Cleveland, trade Darius Garland, and maybe one more piece. Probably, probably need to trade Evan Mobley, too. That's why they won't do it. But trade, there's so many places to go. And for Anthony Davis, despite his injury history, despite over the years him not getting the chance to really play due to the injuries, when he's healthy, he can give you 25 and 10 and two blocks on any given night. The problem is we don't know if he ever will be healthy again. That's the trepidation for a lot of teams to trade. That's probably why the Lakers haven't really shopped him around the way that they wanted to. Because they're even trying to figure out, okay, is he going to be healthy? Is he going to get back to what he was in 2020 when they won the NBA championship? Is he going to be that dude that at the end of the game we can go to for a big shot? If he can be the focal point of the offense, which he's going to have to be as LeBron continues to age, he should... In all reality, he should be the number one option right now with this Lakers team. Maybe it should have happened a year ago because of injury. It didn't. But Anthony Davis, man, this is his team now. Let's let's be frank. I don't want to like compare these two in terms of like their careers, but like in terms of just like how it goes down. You look for Magic and Kareem. Kareem was the man, and then he was like, "All right, Magic, you're the young gun." I'm getting old. I can still help you, but this is your show now. LeBron needs to do the same with Anthony Davis. The only thing is, for Anthony Davis, does he really have that mental to be like, okay, this is my team now. In New Orleans, we saw it to a certain extent, but I honestly think he kind of peaked in New Orleans, to be honest with you. Lakers, Anthony Davis, the first year when they won the championship, maybe you say that's his peak too. I think he was a little bit better at shooting the three ball than he ever was in New Orleans. But New Orleans, he was dropping crazy numbers. I mean, 
he was dropping what 50 and 10s 40 and 15s like he he was doing crazy stuff triple doubles like where is anthony davis now could you imagine that type of anthony davis on this lakers squad totally different team totally different situation they wouldn't even be two and eight right now if that anthony davis was here they would be they would be a top team in the west with that plus lebron james you'll figure that out but that's the problem he isn't that same guy anymore and so when it comes down to now is all right he could he could be that some nights he'll he'll give you a 30 and 10 maybe but consistently night in and night out he's not giving you that anymore he's not the same guy which sucks because at one point you could he was obviously i mean excuse me you could argue that he was the number one player in the nba or at least it was trending that way he was in the conversations with Giannis, with kevin durant at the time lebron steph harden like he was in that mix now a tier below which is still good still great but not the same guy now the final game of this 15 game stretch we've been going for a while man let me what, what time is it the recording 55 minutes god damn we've been going for a minute but we're still not done so the final game before we get into our trade rumors let's see not trade rumors what our <laughs> our power rankings the los angeles clippers they took on the cleveland cavaliers and this one it was los angeles breaking cleveland's eight game win streak Cleveland's now eight and two in the season, while Los Angeles is six and five. And this one, it was the clutch play by Paul George. He did three. He made a three-point play to break the tie that ultimately set them up to win the game. Paul George in this one, he had a calm, nothing too crazy. Twenty-six points, five rebounds, three assists. Reggie Jackson chipped in eighteen. Morris Senior with twenty. Norman Powell off the bench with 17. Trey Mann with 16. Great to see him getting some love, getting some action. This is a much-needed win for a Clippers team that's kind of been, like, trending around that 500 area. They haven't quite gotten off the ground. They don't have Kawhi Leonard yet. Honestly, we want to talk about disappointing runs. Obviously, Brooklyn's the number one disappointment over the last three years. Clippers kind of got to be in that conversation. I mean... Sure, they reached the conference finals, but when you have Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, you think championships. Kawhi Leonard went healthy, a top five player. Paul George, a top 10 player, I think, or borderline top 10 player when he's right. You combine those two, two guys that are two-way wings, hear that a lot from Max Kellerman, two-way wings, win championships, Jordan, Pippen, litanies of examples throughout history this supposed to be the next generation but did not happen unfortunate for the clippers that Kawhi suffered his injury and hasn't quite been the same never been able to get on the floor for extended minutes extended game stretches really he's always out like every other game out for this stretch clippers have been treading around 500 we got the win tonight last night it was well needed, well deserved. Beating a Cleveland team that was kind of on the precipice of eclipsing Milwaukee for the best team in the East would have went to nine and one, tied from Milwaukee had they won this. But eight and two, 
Donovan Mitchell, another 30-point game. 10 of 15, 8 of 11. Donovan Mitchell, a MVP candidate for sure. Averaging 31.4 rebounds, 6 assists. Just almost unstoppable. One of the closest things to unstoppable at the guard position in the NBA. Darius Garland shifted 19 and 12. 10 points, 20 rebounds for Jared Allen. I mean, come on, 26 and 8 for Evan Mobley. This is the game that I've been looking for from Evan Mobley. Despite them losing, despite their winning streak coming to an end, I don't care. This might have been the most influential game of the season. We're talking about Evan Mobley putting his stamp, putting his mark on the game. 26 points and 8 rebounds. That is insanely huge. For Evan Mobley's confidence, because we know what Darius Garland's going to give you. We know what Donovan Mitchell is going to give you. We know Jerry Allen's going to be a big one in the paint. He's going to block shots, get rebounds, double-double machine. The issue, not necessarily the issue, but the thing that we were most worried about was Evan Mobley. Would he take that next step? Would he stay around the same level as a rookie? Which was still amazing, but... We think that there's more potential. I think, personally, he can be one of the best big men in the league. Intangibles to be the best big men. One of the best big men of all time. You talk about the length. You talk about the shot-blocking ability, the defensive instincts. Very Anthony Davis out of college, like Kevin Garnett-like, even. Doesn't have the same personality as Kevin Garnett. No one will ever have that ever again in life. But the defensive instincts are there. He's only had to get an offensive game. That was his one thing that he was kind of missing. 26-8, great sign from him. If he can continue to do this, you don't have to have 26-8. If you can get, for right now, 19-9 from him with two blocks and just great defense, he should be an all-star this year. And if he continues that trajectory, he will be a top 10 player in the NBA. And... Once you have that, along with Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland, let's make something clear right now. Let's, let's get this out the way. Cleveland is going to be a top five team in my futures video. My futures podcast, excuse me. Might make it a video too. Who knows? But Darius Garland, one of the best guards in the league already. He's an all-star. All-star last year. Only his, what, fourth year in the league at this point, 22 years old. Donovan Mitchell, 25, 26. Jared Allen, still relatively young. Mobley, second year in the league. This future is incredible. This starting five, if they stay together, you can insert whoever you want the forward. Right now it's Karis LeVert, who's 28, not that old. Averaging 13 a game, but you keep this core four, you're, you're set for at least the next seven to ten years in Cleveland. And that's a major accomplishment considering what they've been through when they didn't have LeBron James after the 2000s. That's an incredible feat. Congratulations to Cleveland. They're a team that can be in the finals this year. I'm putting that out there now. And since we're done with the teams, let's actually get into the power rankings. For the power rankings this week, week four, I had it. I have. I was one behind before. The so last week was week three. I said it was week two. That's my apologies. For week four, 
Number five, the Boston Celtics at seven and three. Offensive rating for this team, one seventeen point five. That's first. Defensive rating, one fourteen point one. That's twenty third. The reason why they're top five, number five in particular, seven and three record, one of the better records in the league. But also they're offensively just on another level right now. Obviously number one for a reason. They're putting up insane numbers. Getting contributions from all over. Jason Tatum should be in the MVP conversation. You cannot be a championship team, in my opinion, when you have a borderline top 20 offense. You simply can't do it, despite how great their defense is. And it has been amazing. Number one, barely over 100 points. You can't win that way, man. And yes, once you get Chris Middleton back, totally different argument. Totally different argument. You're adding a, a top 20 guy who can score, giving you 20-plus points per game, an all-star, all of the above. I get it. I got you. But right now, they aren't scoring at that clip. That really makes me think, okay, if they're in the playoff series, they'll be able to outscore somebody. Defensively, yeah. But there are other teams that score the ball better and have comparable defensive numbers, metrics, the whole thing. In this case... It's the Cleveland Cavaliers. They are the number one team in my power ranking this week. Cleveland at 8-2, and two, offensive rating 116 for fourth in the league, defensive rating 105.2 for second, net rating plus 10.9 for first. For those who don't know what net rating is, I'll reiterate again, it's point differential. So let's say you're winning by, you, you average 110 points per game, opponent only scores 100. Point differential is 10. On average, that's the amount of points that you win by. So, double-digit win differential, point differential, that is very impressive. This is what Boston was doing last year on their run to the NBA Finals. Although their offense, I believe it was top 10, maybe top 15. I'm trying to remember off the top of my head. At the end of the season, I cannot. But their defense was number one, and that's what was separating them. So, when you talk about a team that's number two defensively, and also a top five team offensively, you you really have no outs with this team. I mean, they're going to stop you from scoring, and they're getting theirs no matter what. <clears throat> That's a formula for success. That's a formula that will deliver championships. You look at some of the best teams in NBA history, always going to be a top five offense, top five defense. Top teams in the league, top five offense, top five defense. Top 10 is great. Top five is elite, and that is what Cleveland is. Donovan Mitchell averaging over 30 points per game. An MVP candidate as we speak right now. Defensively, you have Jared Allen, Evan Mobley, who's taking the helm inside the paint. Very switchable, especially on Evan Mobley's side of things. Darius Garland, the all-star caliber point guard. The litany of veterans, we have Kevin Love, Ricky Rubio, he's coming back, Karis LeVert, so many pieces on this Cleveland Cavaliers team, so many methods of attack, so many defensive strengths. You can go on and on about this Cleveland team. I really think that it's going to be a race between Milwaukee, Cleveland, and Boston. Let's see who gets out the East. Now, once Milwaukee gets Middleton back, then we'll see where they they rank in terms of offense. Will they be top 10 again? Maybe, maybe not. Will Cleveland slide? Maybe. Boston raise, rises in the defense of metrics, defensive metrics. Potentially, I think that they will. 
it all comes down to who wins these games. But right now, Cleveland's my number one in the power rankings. I'll go over it one more time. Number five, Boston. Number four, Utah. Number three, Phoenix. Number two, Milwaukee. And number one, the Cleveland Cavaliers. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to this episode of the From Downtown Podcast. A very long episode of the From Downtown Podcast. It was over an hour in length. I did not know I could talk for that long and keep going. I will probably need some tea or something along the sort. But nonetheless, we got it done. The 15-game slate will never happen again for the rest of the season, I think. (laughs) But nonetheless, it was great to get all my opinions on every team out there. And also got to get the power rankings. Cleveland is my number one team. I'm sticking with that. People will argue Milwaukee. I, I see it. I really do. But I'm taking into account the numbers as well as just the eye test. Giannis is the best player in the world, but Donovan looking like one of the better players in the world right now. His his stock has definitely risen in my book. And we all understand the defensive stuff. Evan Mobley at 26-8 and eight really skewed me to put. I understand that Cleveland, they've won other games besides that one. They didn't even lose. They didn't win that one. They lost it. But that Evan Mobley performance really showed me that, you know, with him on any given night, he can give you those numbers, and it will be a great sign for Cleveland if they can get that on a consistent basis. But please make sure you guys like, rate, leave five stars so we can move on the algorithm. This was a great episode. I had fun. I'm going to get me some tea now. Until next time, y'all. Take care.